0: open your Bibles to 2nd Chronicles chapter 9. Our study this evening will be verses 1 to 12. 2nd Chronicles chapter 9 verses 1 to 12. Listen now to God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word. Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions, having a very great retinue, and camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon... The house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants and their clothing, his cupbearers and their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, half the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your wives. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel and would establish him forever, he has made you king over them. "'that you may execute justice and righteousness.' "'Then she gave the king one hundred talents of gold "'and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. "'There were no spices such as those that the queen of Sheba gave to king Solomon. "'Moreover, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon, "'who brought gold from Ophir, brought algum wood and precious stones.' And the king made from the algam wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, lyres also, and harps for the singers. There never was seen the like of them before in the land of Judah. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what she had brought to the king. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. The grass withers, the flowers fall. And the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Father in heaven, what a thrill it is to open up the Old Testament. and We know we're not reading fanciful stories or myths or mere traditions, nor are we reading a story about someone else. But Lord, this is our people. This is our gospel. This is one who sets forth our Savior. We pray that we would see them as the Queen of Sheba did and like her that we would believe. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the more intriguing incidents in the birth narratives of the Lord Jesus Christ is the adoration of the Magi who came from the east. Matthew's Gospel records, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to To worship him Matthew 2 1 to 2 now it's not entirely clear who these men were and where they came from or why they visited the baby Jesus although I think the most likely explanations are going to connect them to Babylon and probably to the prophecies of the prophet Daniel when he was in Babylon but what is sure is that these worshiping wise men remind us that God's promised messiah was always intended to be the savior of the world well the old testament faith had not only spread east where it would connect with these wise men in the time of jesus but we learned from the days of solomon that a fascinating visitor came to jerusalem from the south verse one now when the queen of sheba heard the fame of solomon she came to jerusalem well, this distinguished pilgrim came to see for herself what was reported of the house of David and the God of Israel. Now, the Bible tells us that, tells us that because of man's fallen condition in sin, there is no one who seeks for God. Romans 3.11 now when Paul wrote that he meant no one who on their own no one apart from God's intervening grace seeks for God and so the way to understand and explain the visit to Jerusalem of the of the queen of Sheba was that God himself was drawing her to his city and temple Jesus said the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost Luke 19.10 And therefore, with all that in mind, no sooner had Solomon built the temple on Mount Zion and then established the worship of the priests in the temple than the Lord began drawing worshipers from the four corners of the world. Seeing a queen coming from the south, we're reminded of Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus That he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel. He will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah 11 verse 12. Revelation 7 verse 1 shows the end of history. And there we find that the angels of heaven, I, I quote, will stand at the four corners of the earth to gather a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all tribes and people and languages to worship before the throne of God and before the Lamb." You see from that perspective the arrival of the Queen of Sheba before Solomon signaled great things that were yet to come in the time of Jesus. Even things so great as the missionary spread of the gospel that we have the privilege to be a part of today. All of it anticipated in the witness of the gospel in King Solomon. A witness pointing to God's true Son the Lord Jesus. Well, 2 Chronicles 8, the previous chapter, summarized Solomon's achievements. Remember, he built the temple on Mount Zion. He established the worship there. He, He then, we're told, he secured trade routes and he fortified the entrances to the nation. Now that chapter concluded with a massive trading expedition that went through the Arabian Sea uh, on behalf of a partnership between Solomon and Hiram of Tyre that sent their ships far and wide in the east and the south. Now it seems that that merchant uh, 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 journey, that that navy of ships that went out from Solomon uh, attracted visitors to Jerusalem. And one of them was the Queen of Sheba. Andrew Stewart points out that, in this way, Solomon exemplified God's primary strategy for evangelism. That faithfulness among God's people will draw unbelievers to inquire of the true God. That reminds us, if the church finds itself unable to gain the culture's attention, We should not immediately blame merely the spiritual indifference of the world, but we should always ask ourselves, are they seeing anything in us that makes them want to check us out? Is there anything going on in our lives, in our families, in our church that's causing people to wonder, what's going on in the church of Jesus Christ? You see, when we display the blessings of salvation, there usually will be some who come to see it for themselves. Such a person was the Queen of Sheba. Now, it was the glory it was the fame, we're told, of Solomon that drew this queen to visit Jerusalem personally. Now, Sheba is traditionally associated with the biblical Cush, that is roughly modern-day Ethiopia. That is what we were told by the first-century historian Josephus. And yet today scholars are virtually unanimous in locating Sheba uh, a short distance to the north of Ethiopia, actually on the southern tip of Arabia, uh, where today we find Yemen would be the place where scholars will place Sheba now. Now that kingdom had grown very wealthy in trading frankincense and myrrh. You will remember those were two of the very gifts the wise men brought to the Lord Jesus. As a reigning monarch, she arose, rose, uh, She arrived with a very great retinue, and we're told of these packages packed with spices, gold, and an abundance of jewels, verse 1. She was a very notable visitor. Now the suggestion is made that the reason the Queen of Sheba became was she had interacted in the various ports, with this massive trading expedition of chapter 8, and she had come as an ambassador seeking to work out a trading deal. There's a new market that needs to be opened that that makes sense, except that that is not what the chronicler says. He gives a different reason. It was for Solomon's famed wisdom that this queen came. Look at verse 1. She came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. Now, we should not think that her questions merely involve the kind of wisdom, the agricultural wisdom that Ben Franklin published year after year in Poor Richard's Almanac. She didn't keep seeking policy questions. That doesn't make sense. You know, what's the best optimal tax rate for my kingdom? That's not what clearly brought her. No, Martin Selman writes that she came to seek wisdom on spiritual matters. Questions like, what is the meaning of life? What are? How do we understand God through his unfathomable wonders? And so the Queen of Sheba was evidently a deep thinker. And she was pondering the big questions of life. She wondered what really was true about God. Now we live in a time when pop culture presents these images you see it in commercials quite a bit but in a lot of artistic venues of a bemused westerner climbing some Himalayan mountain to prostrate himself before a Buddhist monk and he always will ask the question oh tell me what is the meaning of life well the queen of Sheba knew better Having heard how God was with Solomon, she sought wisdom from a true source of divine revelation. You know, the place for us to go today is the word of God. It's to open up our Bibles, to get a Bible and to read it. We we will find there what the Queen of Sheba was seeking through Solomon. God himself has spoken by the prophets and the apostles, giving us answers to the greatest questions, opening up to us even the way to eternal life. You think of what Solomon's father, King David, said in Psalm 19 about the word of God. He said, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now there is nothing else in all this world about which you can say that. It is pure, it's perfect, it's radiant, it's sure, it makes us wise. It revives the soul, rejoices the heart, it enlightens the eyes. As the Queen of Sheba traveled a long way for the revelation of God that Solomon could uniquely give. Uh, We have right before us the Word of God. I wonder if we read it. I wonder if we're devoted, as she was, to growing in the knowledge of truth from the revelation of God. Well, the closest thing she had was Solomon. And so she went to speak with him. Now we remember, of course, that Solomon appears in Scripture as a forerunner. The actual word we use is he's a type of Christ. That means he represents Christ and shows us aspects of his person and work and character. We're not surprised then, as that's the role that Solomon plays, that he was able to reveal an astonishing wisdom. We read that when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind, and Solomon, verse 2, answered all her questions. Well, Solomon, you remember, received this endowment of wisdom in answer to his prayer back in chapter 1. He knew he needed wisdom. God gave him wisdom. But what he really anticipates is the greater revelation that would come in the arrival of Jesus Christ. Consider, for instance, the wisdom of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where he gives a true spiritual exposition of the law of God. Like David said, it enlightens the mind. It, it It gives light to the heart to read that. Think of his parables, which exceed Anything of that type. People will often say, I'm going to write parables. No one is able to do the parables Jesus was. They are unique because of his divine nature. They're they're even seen as, as a mark of his unique deity. But in them, he unfolds the mysteries of God's grace. He exposes the contours in the parables of Jesus. The contours between faith versus unbelief. Jesus was able to foretell the future. He he told of an age to come and the blessings awaiting his disciples when he returned through faith. And so because of Jesus' supernatural knowledge and wisdom, the most penetrating understanding of life and eternity comes through a careful, open-hearted consideration of the teaching of the Gospels. The whole Bible, of course. But particularly we long to sit at the feet of Jesus. And he displayed a wisdom higher than any thoughts of men when he laid down his own life on the cross to atone for our sins. And so the Queen of Sheba, if she had lived in Jesus' time, she would have echoed the words of the apostle of the disciple Peter. When the crowds, Jesus was teaching the word of God, the crowds being unspiritual, didn't like it, they went away. Jesus turned to Peter and says, are you going to go too? And he spoke, I trust for us. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John 6, 68. Now we're told that the queen of Sheba listened to Solomon and then she also considered All that was there to see in Jerusalem, look at verse 4 the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants and their clothing, his cupbearers and their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. Now, that description refers to far more than the material wealth on display in Solomon's court. It primarily takes in the administration of God's covenant of grace through the various appointed officials, through what today we would refer to as the means of grace, especially the atoning sacrifices offered daily in the altar of the temple. And see, it was the gospel being displayed in that covenant setting. And she took it all in and verse 4 said, There was no more breath in her. In today's vernacular, we would say that she was blown away. That's the very experience countless Christians have had when they first comprehended the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The gospel message of Jesus truly is amazing, and she was seeing it lived out in full color under Solomon's rule, and she was breathless, we are told. Now, we should understand that she not only understood and was impressed, but she actually believes she becomes a believer. She receives the message, not just the impression. She got the gospel, the message of the covenant of grace under the administration of the, of, the, of the Davidic kings in the city of Jerusalem in the old covenant. And as such, she is an example to everyone of any age who thirsts after truth, who aren't, aren't many people this way. What they're looking for is meaning. Ultimately, those who seek out salvation. You see, she came to the right place. She came to the temple of the Lord and the throne of Solomon. But she also brought the right spirit. Look at verses 5 to 6. Here's what she explains. The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. Now, the key words are the word true the report was true and then the word believe it's, uh, it's true I, when I'd seen it I believed uh, interestingly the Hebrew words for truth and belief are very similar words emet and emen and they're meant to be similar uh, the, what it means is the word emet means true the word "Emen" or amen means established as true we use the word she used for belief when we say the word amen that's what you'll find if you will come and see if you will inquire uh, for the truth of God and his salvation and you do so with an open heart you will discover truth and you will respond to it with your amen that's what faith is to acknowledge as true what is revealed in God's trustworthy word Now when the apostles of Jesus were spreading the gospel in the first century, uh, we see it in the book of Acts, they set forth a, a piece of evidence for people to examine and consider, namely the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. And probably even today, one of the best ways to assess whether or not the gospel is true, are we going to give it our amen, is to consider the facts of Jesus' resurrection the open tomb of the Lord Jesus was an open public claim subject to the kind of investigation that the Queen of Sheba performed in Solomon City. The Apostle Paul, when he was evangelizing King Herod Agrippa, he pointed out that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this thing was not done in a corner. It was a public historical act subject to investigation and verification. Acts twenty six twenty six. And ever since, skeptics of Christianity have approached the resurrection of Jesus with the aim of disproving its claims. And yet those who are open-minded about the evidence have found something that, like the Queen of Sheba in Solomon's Jerusalem, took their breath away. One of them was the famous English jurist, Sir Edmund Clarke. Who scrutinized the evidence of Christ's resurrection in, in light of established legal standards, standards of evidence. And he concluded to his surprise, as a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidences for the first Easter day. To me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court of our land, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling is that which is given to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Simon Greenleaf, founder of the Harvard Law School, likewise set out to disprove Christ's resurrection. He ended up accepting the claims of Christ and becoming a Christian. Now when Jesus was calling his first disciples, he often would say this, come and you will see. That's the very thing we see in the Queen of of Sheba. And here's the gospel invitation to anyone who, like her, earnestly desires to know truth. Anyone who's willing to consider the gospel claims and its wisdom. Uh, Philip Ryken notes, anyone who is willing to take a serious look at Jesus will discover that he is everything advertised and more. Uh, Jesus claimed to be God's eternal son. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I, I wonder, have you sought to know if that is true by reading the New Testament Gospels. If you do, you will find out that he backs up that claim. And Jesus further said that by his death and by crucifixion, that he would atone for the sins of all who believe, and then that he would rise again to grant eternal life. Well, the Roman centurion who actually supervised his death concurred with that claim. He said, truly, this was the Son of God, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four, And Jesus fulfilled scores, filled to the letter, scores of detailed prophecies of the Messiah written centuries before. Uh, there were numerous eyewitnesses to his resurrection. You see, it all presents the gospel as trustworthy. Calling from us for the same amen the Queen of Sheba gave to what she came and saw in Solomon's court. Well it not only seems that she believed Solomon's teaching and the gospel he displayed but the Queen of Sheba goes on and she begins preaching the gospel in her own way. What we have starting in verse 6 we might call the gospel according to the Queen of Sheba as she adds her testimony to others in the Bible. Now, appropriately, it begins with an exclamation of its greatness. Look at verse six, and behold, half the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpass the report that I heard. And she'd come to realize that the wisdom given by Solomon and the gospel precepts worked out in the worship and, uh, and, and ministry of that city represented a divine wisdom that words could never encompass. How amazed she would further have been to discover that her own coming to that city was a fulfillment of Scripture. Psalm 27, 9, written by Solomon earlier, says, May desert tribes bow down before him. And She was herself fulfilling the word of God. How amazing that is when you discover, have you discovered that? That I personally am part of God's plan? The very things that God's promised are being f- confirmed and and fulfilled in my own experience. Well, believers in Jesus come to the cross and they find the very thing she said the half was not told me. You come to the cross discovering the forgiveness of sin, but you never imagined when first you come that God has loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 I see that if I come to the cross, Jesus will love me. But then, oh no, the Father has loved me. Actually forever and ever. The half was not told to you when first you came. We bring our sins to the cross and find that it really was God who was working in us with a sovereign grace that our salvation relies not ultimately on our faithfulness but on his own. We meet Jesus in the pages of scripture and, and then we discover that he is one of three persons in a single divine being. These are things our minds had never imagined. The half was not told to us when we first came to hear the word of God proclaimed. Well, she goes on to expound her amazement with a couple of blessings in verse 7. The, the word given in our English translation is happy. The better translation would be blessed. But she says this, happy are your wives. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. You see, her point was that the gospel that Solomon proclaimed fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ brings a blessed and she's witnessing this it brings a blessed transformation to homes and to workplaces as the principles of forgiveness and uprightness provide meaning and significance to life she said I I never imagined it's possible but, but I see it the grace of God is transforming the relationships and structures of life and so she goes on in verse eight and she gives glory to God Blessed be the Lord your God. Matthew Henry writes, The happiness of both king and kingdom she traces up to the fountain of all bliss, to the divine favor. And as such, she proclaims that the truth that she had learned is actually for the praise and glory of God because of his mercy and grace. He has delighted in you, she continues. And Showing that the love of God, she understands it's the love of God himself that is the moving force of biblical wisdom. Cyril Barber explains what the queen saw in Israel of the wealth and contentment of the people drew from her an expression of appreciation for God's electing love and the fact that his rule over them was so beneficial. Have you discovered that? if, If God will rule in my life through His Word, it's going to be an expression of His sovereign love. And it's going to be beneficial in my experience. This is the exclamation the Queen of Sheba makes. But she's not done. And she goes on to note that God has provided a king to reign forever for the salvation of his people. And she's talking of Solomon in verse 8. That he has set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Now now notice the, the theological insight. It's the Holy Spirit involved here. The key to her meaning is that Solomon is sitting on his throne. That's capital H as it were throne. He's sitting on God's throne. He's a king not only for Israel, but king for the Lord your God. Now, whether she could have done the redemptive historical interpretation and made the links, the canon wasn't yet completed, she's pointing to the exaltation of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God incarnate who comes down to earth, conquers by his blood and ascends to heaven to reign forever and ever over the throne of God in heaven. That's what she's pointing to. The full exposition of her doctrine of the incarnation and kingship of Jesus is going to be given in an advanced, more advanced form, as you would expect in Revelation. When the angels say this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. she she realizes the gospel that she comprehends and proclaims is of the cosmic lordship of the incarnate son of god of the house of david reigning forever on the throne of god well finally the queen of sheba in her witness she notes what is the end What is the aim, as it were, for which the gospel is given and is shown to her in so much wisdom by Solomon? You see, it's for the glory of God in the righteousness of his holy people and kingdom. Look at verse 8. Because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever, he has made you king over them that you may execute justice and righteousness. I wonder if you realize that that same purpose is behind your salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, 4, those famous words that God chose us in Christ, in him, Christ, before the foundations of the world. But don't stop there. That we may be holy and blameless before him. That is the aim. God did not work his grace into our lives, that we would go on living as servants of sin. As our king, Jesus, even more so than Solomon, he reigns to execute justice and righteousness, to make us his holy people in that way to establish us forever. I think better than many Christians today, the Queen of Sheba, Perceive that believers has been gathered into Christ's flock, yes, by a free grace that forgives us all our sins, but so that we might be a holy people in lives of godliness that glorify the sovereign God. That's how Peter gave his application to his gospel, he concludes Second Peter, what sort of people ought therefore you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Second Peter 3:11. As Sheba's queen understood it, the gospel displayed in Solomon City is not one that only forgives our sin, but one that also establishes God's righteousness in our lives. You see, nothing like this had ever been presented to her before, a salvation that is by free grace entirely rooted in the sovereign love of an eternal God, but then has the most profound and glorious impacts in time, in our lives. And for it she gave gave praise to the God of Israel and of the Holy Scriptures. Well, that was quite a gospel testimony by the Queen of Sheba. and She not only, we find, however, knew how to bear witness to the gospel as she saw it in the administration of Solomon's court. We find in verse 9 she also knew how to respond to it. How did she respond? Well, here's how she responded. Then she gave the king 100 talents of gold. And a very great quantity of spices and precious stones, there were no spices such as those that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. You see, seeing the glory of God and the gospel revealed by Solomon, the Queen of Sheba, she gave not merely out of the margins of her life, what she could give up without being really, without having to notice it. no, no. no. She gave the very best that she had to offer. You know, this is not an attempt to purchase God's grace. Rather, it's an outpouring of her practical response in gratitude and devotion. And not only did she respond by pouring out her riches, but look at verse 10. The servants of Hiram, together with Solomon's merchant captains, they, they brought gold from Ophir, brought algam wood and precious stones. You see, according to the Queen of Sheba, we therefore believe the gospel message we are shown. We respond with worship that praises God. We bear testimony to the amazing saving grace. And then we support the work of spreading the gospel by offering our wealth in praise and gratitude to God. Now does that mean that what God really wants from you is your money? No, what God really wants from you is you. That's what it means. Paul says in Romans 11.35, Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? My friends, we can never expand God's infinite bank account. but What we can do is we can realize the privilege given to us of participating in the work of glory of the ages, the truth of which has taken our breath away with not even the half of it yet fully revealed by sacrificially giving to the Lord and with the money God has provided to us we make our own that's what she's doing she makes her own investment in the glorious kingdom through the worship of the church and the spreading of the gospel so that many souls will be saved notice further verse 11 what did Solomon do with what she gave to him And the the king made from the algam wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Lyres also and harps for the singers. There was never seen the like of them before in the land of Judah. I would ask you if Solomon took these gifts, these material gifts, and beautified the temple of the Lord and the worship of its priests in a wonderful way, what will the Lord Jesus do with the tithes and offerings we gratefully give to him I think Paul gave the answer far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. You You know, Jesus has already proven what a practical investment in his kingdom will accomplish when we place our money into his hand. He proved it with the example of that little boy who Andrew brought when the 5,000 needed to be fed and he had five loaves and two little fish. What's that going to do? What, what's what you give going to do? Well, you see, the boy did the right thing. He, he placed it into Jesus' hands. And Jesus prayed to the Father and he blessed them and he used them to feed a vast multitude. A, you see, there's a spirit, supernatural skill and power at work in his kingdom. And when we invest thankfully and practically in the church of Jesus Christ, we truly do not know the half of all that he will do for God's glory and the salvation of sinners. Well, the wonderful account of the Queen of Sheba's visit to the court of Solomon concludes with one last point. When we come in faith to Jesus, when we give of ourselves to him, You see, like her, we then will leave having been far more abundantly enriched. Look at what the chronicler says in verse 12. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked beside what she had brought to the king. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. You see, Solomon gave her not only wisdom to change her life, But all the provision she would ever need to serve the Lord back in her native land. And when you come to Jesus in faith. Offering yourself the whole of your life in response. He will give you incomparable blessings. We receive from Jesus Christ peace with God. So the very Lord of heaven becomes our beloved and caring father. And we receive the peace of God which surpasses all understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 7. Well, best of all, seeing and comprehending the gospel that's taught to the Queen of Sheba by Solomon, she received a gift no less than eternal life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But here's the question. How do we know for certain that's true? How do we know that the best thing she received was eternal life in the kingdom of life how do we know she believed and really was saved well the answer is because jesus said so jesus said so he named her as one who will stand with him on the day of final judgment in matthew twelve forty two, jesus spoke to unbelievers and he said the queen of the south that's her the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the end of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Again, Matthew twelve forty-two. Now, do you see the Lord's logic? The queen of Sheba had heard reports from far away of the splendor of Solomon. So she came to see for herself. Well, let me ask you, have you come to hear or read of the scriptures? to discover the far greater marvel of the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus says, if, if, if that doesn't matter to you, if you stand aloof or in contempt of that, it will be the Queen of Sheba who rises on the day of judgment to deliver your condemnation for your impiety. And Jesus displays the highest wisdom of all. He displays a more glorious kingdom, a more sure righteousness. He even sets before you the greatest proof of the mercy of God for sinners through the blood of his own cross. Why the Queen of Sheba did not even see half of what we can discover today in the life and message of Jesus Christ if we do not respond in faith, if we do not offer ourselves in his service. She will speak out to condemn us. Here's what she will say. If I yielded my heart to Solomon could you not have bent your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ instead if we follow her lead if we look on the even greater wisdom of Jesus and we receive it in the faith that he reserves if we say it is truth I give my amen to that truth well then like the Queen of Sheba we will receive all we ever could want or imagine as the gift of the true king and as we worship him, not only in this life, but in the age to come, in the glory of Christ's eternal kingdom, even thousands and thousands of years from now, we will still be exclaiming with her, The half has not been told to me. For Jesus' son, Jesus, God's royal son, will be opening always the treasures of his royal wisdom of his love and of his glory so that even in heaven our breath will be taken away. What a blessing forever and forever. Amen. Father, what a gospel. What a thing we find in your word. And so we pray, Father, that you would cause those who have heard this to look upon the Lord Jesus, to seek him in truth by your grace, and to find in him everlasting life. And Father, would you restore and renew in us, your people, the the wonder, the excitement, the marvel, the Queen of Sheba showed that we would not merely have had that kind of enthusiasm when we were first converted, then to have lost it. But Lord, let us live all of our days, breathlessly as it were, seeing that there is no greater privilege, no more cherished honor, and that we would be in Christ and that we could participate, that we could partake, but then ourselves give and serve in the eternal cause of his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.